Sitting on the Sideline Dad Podcast, episode number 81. All about accidental time travel, saving your children from strange things like attack from sharks or zombies. With my guest, James Brankwell, the author of the book, How to Save Your Children from Ostrich Text, Time Travel, Accidental Time Travel, and anything else that might happen on an average Tuesday. Also, the man behind the popular Twitter account, Exploding Unicorns. Next on the podcast, let's do this. Welcome to the No Sitting on the Sideline Dad podcast, a podcast about a journey of discovery and conversations about not sitting on the sideline of life. Let's get involved. Here's host Joe Foley. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, my name is Joe Foley, and I'm a dad and parent, just like you, trying to get through this world one day at a time. And I really want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Your first time, welcome. Really, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the journey of discovery of trying to be a better parent. <laughs> I really appreciate you being here. And um, next up, my guest, James Brakewell, the author of the book, How to Save Your Children, Ostrich Attacks, Accidental Time Travel, anything else that might happen on an average Tuesday. James has a funny perspective of being a parent. A dad of four also has two pigs, which is a funny story we shared in the episode. And his perspective of being a dad, and it's funny because, you know, we all have our journeys of trying to figure this stuff out, and, you know, it's not always one answer or one way of doing things. James shares some really interesting stories. So let's jump right in. Welcome to the podcast, James. Hey, thanks for having me. See, I got to start out, you know, because you have four, four daughters, and, and we just had the New Year's. What kind of questions do they have about New Year's? Like, what kind of questions do they have? They are obsessed with the dropping ball of the ball. They want to know why it dropped and all that. I, I, I don't know anything about it. To, to me, it's the most boring New Year's tradition ever, but they are, especially my nine-year-old, is just obsessed with it. So we let them stay up till midnight to watch it. They drink their uh, fake champagne grape juice. It was, uh, it was a good night for them. They actually stayed up later than my wife. My wife was out by about 1130, but the kids, man, I, <laughs> I would have let them. They would have been up all night. Well, that's, you know, you know, everybody said, you got a kid's going to be in early for bed, but, you know, one night a year is not a bad thing. Yeah, they, and they've, they've did sit up that late a time or two before, but, like, they really look forward to it when it's, like, the actual event is staying up. Any Anything to circumvent bedtime, they're all about that. <laughs> yeah, my son's the same way. He, no, I, I, has a million agendas all of a sudden when it's the right time to go to bed. Yeah, it's amazing how many things they suddenly need to do. They're all urgent tasks, or when they... They're supposed to be getting ready for 45 minutes, and it's like, well, all right, get in your bed. Well, I'm not ready yet. What do you mean? What, what do you have left to do? I need to brush my teeth and put on my pajamas. Like, so you've done nothing. You've done literally nothing in the last 45 minutes. Good to know. <laughs> they were thinking about something they're going to do tomorrow, right? or something in their mind that they, well, they need to get done right now. <laughs> they, have, they have frighteningly busy schedules for elementary school children. They really do. <laughs> One question i got to ask, being a father, too, and I'm also being author of the book, a book you wrote about minimal parenting. Yeah, the bare minimum of parenting, parenting, the ultimate guide to not quite ruining your child. <laughs> How did that come up? How? What is the? What is it, anyways? Well, uh, the, there are so many books out there telling parents how to do more and overachieve and push your kid as hard as possible. And I, I got real tired of that whole genre. Not that I ever read them, but I certainly heard about those books. But like I, I kind of look, I looked around at other adults, and you see these people. You turn, you know, people you're in your 30s or 40s, and I don't know where the children of all these overachieving parents are, but like we all kind of turn out mediocre. After a while, we all just kind of average out to be normal people. 
I thought, okay, if being an overachieving parent isn't accomplishing anything, what's the least you could do to still turn out a decent human being? What's the bare minimum you could do to not fail as a parent? So it started out as a joke. I thought, oh, that's just a thought exercise. Let's write how, about how lazy you can be. But as I got into it, I, I accidentally proved a point. I think I proved that by actually being a laid back, kind of carefree parent who doesn't push your kids so hard, I think your child will actually turn out better than the children of those stressed out, overachieving parents who are always rushing in to yell at teachers and the principal and who are enrolling their kids in a million activities. I, I certainly know what kind of childhood I'd rather have. So yeah, it's, it's my permission to you to be as lazy as you want and do as little as you want, because by my <laughs> argument, your kid will turn out better. What kind of child did you have growing up? I had a very similar childhood to that. Now, I, I imposed on myself I, I, some overachieving tendencies. I pushed myself very hard in school and athletically, not that I was ever any good at sports, but my parents never pushed me at anything. They weren't those parents who show up to every, every game and uh, every practice and all that, especially since I was the oldest of seven kids. You just couldn't do that. Like, it was very clear early on that like we were not the center of the universe. Everything we did didn't demand a standing ovation. So my, my parents were very much laid back, and I tried to take the same approach with my kids. Seven siblings. Holy crap. Yeah. What was, holidays? Were... What was the holidays like? Well, we're, we're pretty spread out. I mean, like the first four or five of us are packed together, but there's 22 years between me and my youngest siblings. So, yeah. But yeah, Liz, recently we had... Uh, 18 people with spouses and grandkids and all that, 18 people spending the night at my parents' house. It was a little packed. Every every couch, every bed, every square inch of floor space had somebody sleeping on it. <laughs> wow. That is, that's a lot of people. I mean, wow. Yeah. Um, what, I, we're definitely a, <laughs> definitely a fire hazard. <laughs> what is like, one thing about being a father, most of your store, um, stories and, and jokes you write about on your Twitter, Twitter account, which is quite a substantial career account, what kind of father are you? Kind of, well, I'm, I'm sorry, what does fatherhood mean to you? Uh, at the most basic level, it means keeping my kids alive through the day. That's, that's always my, my kind of bare minimum level of accomplishment. And it, it kind of it, it adds to the difficulty level of everything else you do. It's like, oh, I wrote a book this year, but I also kept my kids alive. That, that nice default accomplishment of doing that. But, it, you know, on a more, I guess, existential level, it kind of it means being there, guiding them and hopefully not turning them into monsters. That's my biggest goal. I just don't want them to turn out to be entitled monsters. And some days it seems like that's going to be pretty hard. The, the amount of temper tantrums. We just had a giant temper tantrum tonight about why one kid didn't want to didn't want to have a certain bathing suit. Why? I don't know. But it just. Like, man, how was this four-year-old ever going to turn out to be a well-adjusted human being? But my, my older kids seem to have mellowed as they got older, so I've just got to cross my fingers and think if I just keep putting one foot in front of another, maybe maybe she will not turn out to be a serial killer after all. <laughs> you never know. You never know what's going to happen. You you try to do the right thing now, it's like um, roll the dice. You'll know in about uh, 16 years. Yeah, exactly. And we all know people who had great parents and turned up just, just messed up people and we all know people with horrible parents who turned out great. Sometimes if you're a bad parent, you're just part of your child's heroic backstory. Like, look, look what they had to overcome to become who they are. So <laughs> it, it could work out either way. One thing I was interested about your book, how to save your child from, how did you come up with those topics in, in the book? I thought that was quite interesting. So my very first book was called Only Dead on the Inside, A Parent's Guide to Surviving the Zombie Apocalypse. It was an entire book about surviving one very specific parenting scenario. There's all these zombie survival guides out there about how to survive if you're like a young, fit millennial on your own. But there was nothing out there about how to survive if you're like a parent who's a little bit out of shape or maybe a whole lot out of shape and dragging, you know, one or two or three or four kids along with you. And I had a lot of fun writing that book. And so for my third book, I kind of wanted to get back to that. But rather than just focusing on one absurd parenting scenario, the zombie apocalypse, I thought, 
What about like other crazy parenting scenarios? What about vampire attacks or monsters under the bed? What if you're on a sinking ship or a plane crash or just all these crazy things I could think of that you might find in another survival guy, but not a survival guy that tells you how to do it with children also attached. So that was kind of my goal. And as you get deeper and deeper into the book, it gets more and more absurd. You know, how to how to survive getting sucked into books and video games, how to survive, you know, being abducted by Doctor Who and alien attacks, all that kind of stuff. It was it was a blast to write. What kind of reaction did you get about the one about the uh, zombie apocalypse? That was uh, it's still, I think, my best selling book out of all of them, but it's also been out the longest. And I, I wasn't sure when I wrote it. I was like, is somebody going to take this seriously and get really offended? And nobody did. Now, I, I had some people get offended by my bare minimum book, but that just comes to the territory. But the zombie book, I think people took it in the spirit which it was meant. You know, it's uh, and so far I have not had anybody complain that they did die in a zombie attack. So it seems to be working. <laughs> I have to laugh at that. It's funny. The bare minimum parenting, though, what it, what is that anyways? It's just, there were three key metrics I was going by to turning out a decent human being. Basically, they can support themselves. They don't live in your basement and they don't blame you for everything. And they don't be turned into a social deviant. You know, they're not, they don't spend the rest of their life in jail or having everyone on the internet hate them. Those were kind of the three metrics I went by, kind of the bare minimum you need to be to be a decent human being. And uh, there were a lot of different specific facets to it. But, you know, just not caring what other parents think about what you do because they they ultimately don't control you. Uh, you know, not enrolling your kid in everything, not worrying too much if they if they do a bunch of screen time. One of the things I recommended, I recommended having more than one kid because I think one is the hardest number to have just because if you got one, they always want your attention. You always got to have a friend over. So a lot of tips like that that kind of make your life easier in general, but also just kind of justify what you're already doing to maybe just make you relax a little bit as a parent and not not feel so guilty all the time about everything. What kind of reaction you get back from that book? I mean, I, I got you know a lot of positive reviews and things like that. It sold pretty well. I did uh, that when I every once in a while I'll accidentally read an Amazon review. I try real hard not to read, <laughs> but there was one person who was just furious at me, furious. She's like, this book wasn't written by an expert. He specifically says that he's just a parent. His kids are still young. He doesn't know how they're going to turn out. It's like, it's a comedy book. You know, you calm down. But, you know, you're always going to get some of that. Because the people who are coming from my Twitter account, my, from my newsletter and all that, they know what to expect. But every once in a while, you get somebody from the wider internet coming around expecting like an actual expert opinion. And that's, and that's not what this is. It's essentially one long comedy essay that actually ends up being kind of poignant and making a lot of sense. How do you get into writing this stuff anyways, writing the comedy stuff anyways? I started back in high school. I uh, had some extra time at the end of a computer literacy class. And like any normal kid at a Catholic school, I used that time to write a fake book of the Bible. And I emailed it to some of my friends and they laughed at it and I was hooked. And from there, I started writing emails and sending them out to people. Then I got to uh, I got to college. I, I wrote for the school newspaper, wrote funny articles, and I jumped to journalism. I thought I'd be the next Dave Barry, but newspapers were not a good place to be now, and they weren't a good place to be 10 years ago. <laughs> the industry was really tanking, so I got out of that quick and just started, I started blogging on my own. I did that for a decade and didn't gain a lot of traction, and then I switched to Twitter, and Twitter is really where everything exploded. I, I tweeted, treated Twitter like a job. I put a ton of time into it, and after about four years, I went viral on there. I got an agent, and then from there, I kind of expanded into books, and uh, for a while, I had a column in the Indie Star. Now I've got my newsletter every week that goes out to a pretty big audience. So I've kind of found my niche with all of that. Well, I, I, I got to go back to the again in high school writing. a Was it a fake book of the Bible or writing the Bible? Yeah, fake book of the Bible. Yes. How was the reaction going to Catholic school writing that? 
Well, I didn't I didn't send it to the principal or anything, but I said to I had an audience of two back then, which is kind of mind blowing now that you know I've got one point one million followers on Twitter and all that. But back then I, I had a very low threshold. I was like, if I can get one or two people to read this, that's worthwhile. So I emailed it to them and I could see them sitting in front of me and I saw them open it and laugh. And I thought, hey, maybe this is something I could do. At the time, I thought I was going to go into chemistry or aeronautical engineering, <laughs> something like anything with a big title. But I hated math, and I liked making people laugh. So it was an easy switch. And doing the writing for the, all the jokes and stuff, have you ever done it live? I've done a few things. Live. So my, I, I do a podcast where I debate things with my co-host, Steve Levis. Well, it's not live. We don't rehearse it. It's all improv. We go back and forth arguing. Same with my YouTube stuff. We just I just do one take with the kids we go through and joke back and forth. I have done some live appearances to promote the book. I've, I've gone a few different places, gone to some conventions and things like that. Uh, but as far as traditional stand up, no, I, ha I haven't done stand up per se. But the, and anymore, you know, every author has to be their own uh, social media promotion machine. So there's certainly uh, more more live performances coming down the pipeline for that. Well, what is it? Well, I'm right and wrong. I did listen to that podcast. How did that come about? Well, so I was a guest on Steve's podcast real early on. I think before I even had any books out, he would just kind of go and interview people who we met from Twitter who had followings. And, and we had really good, just kind of really good banter back and forth. There was a lot of chemistry there. So he ha I happened to see on Twitter one day that he was going to be in Indianapolis, my town. And so I, I asked my wife, hey, you mind if I go meet this guy in a bar? And so I went and met a stranger <laughs> in the bar. And I propositioned him there. I was like, hey, I was thinking about this podcast idea. Would you be up for it? And he, he never says no to anything. So he jumped on it. And we haven't exactly lit the fire with, uh, world on fire with that podcast or anything. But we amuse ourselves, which is really all it takes. I did watch some uh, YouTube video of yours about the uh, worst parenting advice, too. That was actually pretty interesting. What was your favorite, um, worst, what was your favorite bad advice? I don't remember the specific ones from that. The, I think there was... There, there were a lot of old wives' tales on there about. I think if you like, if you tickle your kid, they were they were <laughs> going to end up messed up for life. I mean, there was there was a lot of really severe things. The the one that sticks out more in my mind, there was a recent one like the greatest parenting fails or a time your kid got hurt or should have got hurt and they just survived it just fine. And I, I gave out some books in in response to that one. But my favorite one was there was this this kid in a cozy coop who went and he rolled down a like trellised hill with like multiple walls. <laughs> And the, the, the car just went and it rolled down one, then rolled down another. I mean, it must have fallen 20 or 30 feet. And at the end, the kid just landed upright perfectly fine. And the lady even, like, drew me a diagram on a post-it <laughs> note of all these spins and falls. It's kind of crazy the things that kids can survive, which is a weird juxtaposition to all the things parents get shamed for. It's like, don't do this or you're going to hurt your kid. And then you turn around and kids do all this stuff to hurt themselves. And they end up coming out just fine. Like, parents. <laughs> I'm just thinking parent shaming. That's a big thing nowadays because the parents always automatically judge you. And I'm, I'm not, I've, I've done it too. I've done it too. And I don't mean to, but I have. It's like going to the grocery store. The person behind you always wants to look in your cart and see what you have. And you know they're judging you. Oh, yeah. I think it's just human nature. I mean, I'm sure I just still judge people too. But the difference is I don't judge people out loud anymore, especially since I have kids. <laughs> when I see somebody now with a screaming child in public just throwing an awful temper tantrum, I don't think, man, that's a terrible parent. I, th I think, man, I'm glad that's not me right now because next time it very well could be me. I mean, kids are basically wild animals. You don't have any control over when they're going to erupt. You just kind of, kind of got to just brace yourself and weather it. It's, it's so true. What they want to talk about is your your the Twitter account that exploded and how did that come about? 
So I, I built up a following gradually on there. At first, I was just promoting the blog, sending out links. And then I realized that in order to get, uh, to get a following, I had to put unique content on there. I had to actually tell jokes. So I started writing different kinds of jokes. And the ones that people uh, really responded to were the ones about my kids. And it was uh, a lot better than blogging because I'm blogging. You might write, you know, spend a day writing a post and get like two comments that weren't really, you know, that helpful. One's like, hey, that's hilarious. Another one's like, hey, you suck. And <laughs> what do you do with that? But on Twitter, every joke I wrote, you could see how many likes and retweets it got. So it got like a score. There was empirical data there. So like, hey, I can figure out what people like. And people like those conversations and jokes with my kids. And so I really zeroed in on that. I practiced and got better and better. I built up to about 200 or 250,000 followers that way. And then BuzzFeed did an article on me. And after they did the article on me, I gained like 100,000 followers over a weekend and everything just exploded from there. I think within a week or two, I had half a million followers and uh, book agents were getting in touch with me. And that's that's really what made everything take off. Well, it's funny. I'm looking inside your book now and there was a review from somebody from the Big Bang Theory. Yeah. Yeah. the, it's Stewart, the guy who played Stewart oh. on there. Yeah, he was he was nice. He's probably the most famous person who's ever blurbed uh, any of my books. But yeah, he was nice enough to do that. And uh, I still get a kick out of it. They put it right on the cover. I guess he said nobody had ever asked him to blurb a book before. But he followed me from way back in the early days before I went viral. And so, uh, yeah, I asked him to do it and he did it. So I owe him a favor. I don't know what I could ever possibly do in return for him, <laughs> but there it is. That, that, how, how, did that feel, how did it feel to you to have somebody like that do that? It's nice. You know what? The uh, It's always nerve-wracking trying to get blurbs. It kind of puts you back in your place. On the one hand, when a, a New York Times bestselling author responds and says, yeah, I'll blurb your book. It's the most amazing feeling in the world. At the same time, you don't see like all the rejections. The people who like who follow me on Twitter and like my jokes, and then I reach out to them and say, hey, will you blurb this? They don't even reply. It's like, oh, okay, <laughs> I get it. You'll, you'll read my short jokes, but not my books. I need to stay in my lane. So if I, if I ever get famous enough that I don't need blurbs, I'll be a very happy man because it is a humbling process every single time. One thing I noticed some of your jokes and then some of your art that you drew, especially on Twitter, has kind of a Star Wars theme. Is it, what do, you, do you like Star Wars? Yeah, I love Star Wars. Actually, I have another viral Twitter account, Very Lonely Luke. It's about Luke Skywalker kind of going crazy and being alone on this <laughs> island. And that was my first account to go viral. It went, it got like 300,000 followers about six months before I went viral with BuzzFeed. We're big Star Wars fans at this in this family, though. I've, I've always loved the original the originals, and my kids love the prequels. We watch them in the van all the time when traveling, and I just took two of my kids to see the new ones. Yeah, and I also like it because it's just a, it's a common touch point that everybody has. Everybody gets Star Wars references. It's the one movie everybody's seen, even if you don't like it. So it's real easy to kind of draw on that uh, common knowledge to write a joke. By any chance, you get a chance to check any of the videos of the new ride at, in Disney World? I did not. I have heard it's amazing, though. Oh, well, I, I, I want to go just because of the video. And it's, I won't, well, actually, you'll see the video eventually. The, well, what's his name? Ren? The, the guy that the, has the, the red lifesaver? Oh, and Kylo Ren, he, yeah. Kind of like, you can see it looks like they're driving right through the elevator. Oh, man, that is so cool. Yeah, they, they did not spare any expense on their rides. Yeah, Disney taking over Star Wars, I think it's really been a good thing overall. I like the new movies, and I like the direction they're going. I, think, um, I didn't see the sequel. I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but do you think there'll be another one? Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they, they paid $4 billion for that franchise. So there'll definitely be more movies. There might not be like one of like the main series anymore, but they've got all the, the side things in production. And then the, the Mandalorian with Baby Yoda in it on Disney Plus. That's been great. <laughs> the Baby Yoda, that thing exploded for Christmas. Everybody wants a little Baby Yoda. Yeah, I've got a friend who's actually uh, crocheting a Baby Yoda because they're just worth that many toys out of it. Yeah, it, 
anything Baby Yoda related is really hot right now. What other things are you involved in? I guess I probably should be more involved in my in other things, but between between keeping the kids alive and the pigs alive and and writing all the books and stuff, I've I, I stay pretty busy. I just recently started working out here, but I as far like I got a gym membership. I had not been inside a gym in like twelve years, so I'm just try I'm trying to slowly branch out outside the house. I was looking up. I, I downloaded a meetup app the other day. I was like, you know what? I should start going out and meeting people and joining groups and. And being this involved person in the community, and in my suburb, there was nothing. There was not a single activity. I was like, maybe this, <laughs> maybe this is a sign from above that I shouldn't get involved in anything. I should just stay home with the kids and write more books. So we'll see. Well, I know you branched out. You mentioned about the podcast with your friend, Wrong and Wronger. But you also had another podcast, too, 10 Minutes to Save Your Marriage? Yes, yes. So I do that with, uh, the, with the same guy, Steve Olivas. He's actually a uh, licensed psychologist. And that one, I just, I thought, you know what, we've got, we got somebody on here with this actual expertise. Let's draw on that some. And we've, uh, and we, we try to solve relationship issues in 10 minutes or less, as the title says, and we get some interesting questions in there. I mean, some things are as mundane as, you know, my husband wants to turn off the TV or wants to turn on the TV at night. And I want to turn it off to like, we just recorded one about a, a polyamorous couple with a, it was lots of complications that went along with that. So people like to have some crazy relationship situations out there. And it's kind of fun to unpack those sometimes. What is um crazy? Any interesting response to direct like DM and Twitter or to your YouTube channels? YouTube channels, all the things you talked about. As far as the podcast goes, I've, we've only received feedback from a few episodes. Everybody, everybody who responded. Okay, well, I should I should clarify this. The people who we did, we, whose questions we answered, we've had had feedback from a few that said they liked it. Most of them don't respond at all, which they either didn't like it or did listen. That, and that's fine. You know what? I'd rather not hear. But I've learned very quickly with the podcast and stuff. I don't generally read the comments, especially on Twitter, because people get uh, people get fired up there. We did one episode about uh, someone was in a relationship with somebody who had bipolar and mm -hmm. uh, the comments were just vicious. And Steve sometimes still falls for reading. It's like, man, you can I, I, I don't mind criticism at all as long as I don't see it. I just pretend it doesn't exist. And that's how I keep going because everybody's got an opinion. Most of them aren't kind. <laughs> As long as I don't read those, read it though, I it doesn't even phase me. If I do read it though, I'll think about it forever. So I've got to kind of put the blinders on. That's an, I mean, it's true. I mean, I, people, especially I heard YouTubers and on YouTube comments can be really, really bad. Yeah, and Steve gets real hung up. There's we always get one or two down votes, and every, every time I, I think at this point somebody's trolling it, but it's like you can do a video of just a baby giggling, and somebody's going to downvote that. I mean, there's always going to be at least one person who doesn't like it. So I try not <laughs> to take it personally. Oh, all the jokes too, and especially the uh, ones in your Twitter account, exploding unicorn. Have you got any responses back to them? Like, everybody direct email you or anything like that, and saying, "Oh, great job." Besides, yeah, I mean, yeah. I get a lot of a lot of. Well, I mean, every once in a while, I get a troll or two there, but I, I've been pretty lucky overall. I think my audience is kind of self-selected, but for the most part, it's people who genuinely like my type of humor. It's it's largely uh, women, largely moms. I think on Twitter, it's uh, like seventy percent women. On Facebook, it's ninety percent women. And they kind of police themselves. There's really nobody who lashes out at me too much. And every once in a while, I'll have somebody message me and say, hey, I was going through a really hard time in my life. You know, I had an illness or there was a death in the family or something. And your jokes are the only uh, thing that got me through that. And that's really kind of a humbling thing to receive uh, in a message. You know, I didn't really set out to make anybody's lives better. I just I just wrote jokes because I like to write jokes. And the fact that the side effect of that is actually helping people, that's kind of cool. Oh, it must make you feel really good, though, to hear that. Yeah, it did. I mean, I've I've even received some emails. So like two or three people have said I was contemplating suicide, and I and I read your jokes, and it brightened my day just a little bit. And you know, 
I'm not saying I've saved anybody's life, but you know, some people get to some really dark places sometimes and they'll take just kind of any, any source of light. And, uh, and I do that. I write those jokes. I write them every day. I've written them every day since I think 2012 and anybody who follows the news. I mean, there's a lot of days where there's just, everything's bad. There's just awful stuff out there, but no matter what happens, I still write those jokes. So people can come to me from consistency, a little bit of a break from the world. I know this too. I follow you on Twitter myself and I see that I mean, to do all the what you do is it's a lot of work. And how do you keep organized? I well, I I try to tweet a few times a day. I just kind of like to by certain times a day. I have to remember I got to think of something to do that. Uh, A lot of guilt, a lot of panic, though. It's like, man, I don't feel like I got enough done today. Now I have to do twice as much tomorrow. It's kind of remarkable that I don't I don't really dwell in the past. Like as soon as the book is done, I I, it's kind of like giving birth where after somebody a woman gives birth. Like they say that her body forgets how much it hurt or else she would never have a second kid. Like I, it's exactly the same thing with writing a book. I forget about the crunch time. I forget about how much time I took. It's like, oh, here's the finished book. That's nice. That's cute. Okay, I'll go ahead and write another one. And then I'm in the middle of it. I think, oh, man, this sucks. I'm never doing it again. I get done. I instantly forget and start a new one. So I, I definitely compartmentalize on that one. Right now I'm getting nervous. I've got a fourth book coming out next. Well, actually, I guess it'll be my, so there's two guided journals coming out next year. So I guess it'll be my sixth book. And uh, I'm just waiting. I, I sent it through for edits a while ago, and I'm going to get an email one of these days. And it's just going to be it's going to kick off weeks of sleepless nights. So I just cringe <laughs> every time I refresh my email inbox, just waiting for that hammer to drop. It must be nerve wracking. It is sometimes. And, you know, there's certain times like at the start of this, when I first went viral, it's like every single email could change my life. Every email was from you about a media outlet or an agent or something like that. And then you get done. You kind of go into a slow period, but then you're, you're shopping around a book again and you get to the period where every email could change your life. Then you get in the, you know, then you, you sell the book and you, you have to write it. And then every email is just working. So then it kind of goes through cycles. So I'm getting close to the right now. We're in the every email is work cycle. But after that, then you get in the wide open again and every email can be life changing. It's, you know, books on their own, they don't, don't necessarily pay a lot of money, but they've got a lot of upside, you know. Every time I write one, I'm like, maybe this is going to be the one that's the New York best time, you know, New York Times uh, top seller or whatever. And uh, you just never know what's going to happen. But uh, more than likely, I've kind of established a spot where I sell enough books that I don't have trouble getting another book deal. But at the same time, you know, you, you got to keep going. You got to keep writing. You can't exactly write one book and retire for life. Being a content creator, though, can be um, stressful, too. Yeah. And I struggle with that. I, uh, there are certain places I feel like I need to do a lot more. YouTube is one of them. I I feel like I always I I succeed in the wrong spots. Like I I did my best at Twitter and Twitter in terms of social media has probably the least influence and pays the least. Whereas YouTube, where I'm the weakest, probably pays the most. That's where you've got, you know, the, the five or six year old kid who plays with toys making twenty two million dollars a year. I just I look at that and kick myself. It's like I've got kids. I play They play with <laughs> toys. Why? Why are we not making millions of dollars? They just I feel like the bar for content is so low there. So, yeah, I'm trying to. I'm trying to keep up on all the social media, but sometimes I gotta I gotta draw the line. I got an Instagram, I got on Facebook, I got on YouTube, but now the big thing is TikTok. I'm just I'm not gonna bother with that one. I did Snapchat for a while, but I got off that one too. That wasn't my thing. I I'll leave that to the kids. I'll stick to the older and stodgier programs. What does the kids think about it? What's the influence you had on your kids? They they don't understand Twitter at all. They understand YouTube. They know I'm on YouTube, and some of their friends do too. So it's weird. I'll pick them up from, you know, their after school program. Their friend's like, oh, my gosh, you're the one with the YouTube channel. It's like, yeah, but it's a, a really small YouTube channel. And then I try to tell them that it's, you know, the, the, my kids, I, I tell them, you know, the fame I have, it's Internet fame. It's really not. It's not real fame. 
been recognized in public one time, and that was it. One time <laughs> we were at the Children's Museum, somebody said, are you James Rakewell? But for the most part, the internet fame is kind of, it's kind of the best of both worlds. Because you go online, you get enough fame that you can kind of, you know, you can, you can get book deals and you can make a little bit of a living at it. But at the same time, you go out in public, and you're totally anonymous. You know, nobody around here knows who I am and that. And that's kind of wonderful. <laughs> but what do your kids think about it, though? Was there a big, they have like, oh, daddy, that's pretty cool. They uh, they are not impressed. They like they like YouTube. They they're impressed by the YouTube part of it, which they really shouldn't be, and and that's about it. For the rest of it, they like making videos with me. They like it when I take their pictures. They say, "Dad, take a picture." Of the, I mean, every kid loves attention, so they like the pictures too. As far as the tweets, they could take it or leave it. I mean, only only two of them are really old enough to read the tweets. They definitely don't follow me on Twitter, so they're 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 a little indifferent to that part of it. Well, one thing I question I have is, what is with the pig? Oh, yeah, pigs. I have two of them now. I'm, I'm not crazy. I have two pigs. Um, <laughs> I, I was uh, born on a pig farm, and uh, until I was three or four, my dad hurt his back, and then we moved off the farm. And ever ever after that, I, I wanted to be a pig farmer. That was my dream. I didn't want to be president. I didn't want to be an astronaut. And it was always <laughs> in the back of my mind. I never outgrew it. When I, I got older, I found out about mini pigs, and uh, I convinced my wife forbid me from spending money on one, but I used my social media fame. I basically traded a tweet for, the, for a pig. I found a pig breeder who said she'd give it to me for free. If I get her enough likes on Facebook. So I asked the internet for help. We got a ton of likes. And uh, a week later, I had my pig. And and it's interesting. It, it's, like a, it's like a dog, but smarter. And <laughs> lately, the thing is, though, she's kind of a pansy. She doesn't like to go out in the cold. So in the summer and spring and even the fall, when the weather's nice, she's got a doggy door to go in and out through. And she'll kind of burn up all her energy out there, root around in the yard, bite sticks, tear out flowers. That's fine. But now that it's cold, she's inside and she has all this aggressive energy to burn off. And she's just been getting into one thing after another. She's been getting into all our drawers. I mean, our kids are old enough. We don't have to lock the drawers anymore. But now they got a pig with a snout. She's figuring out how to open stuff. Through. <laughs> We're childproofing things, putting it up high again. Uh, we've got a second pig, too, who's a little bit younger. She doesn't get into much of anything. So I'm hoping she'll be mellow for her whole life. But yeah, the, the pigs definitely keep us on our toes. You must have a lot of cool stories about that. Yeah, yeah, I, and I have a newsletter where I write about it every week, and it's every week it's something new she figures out how to get into. This last week I heard a crash downstairs, and I'm like, what the heck is the pig getting into this time? She had grabbed a box of wine and was dragging it across the floor. There were like eight <laughs> bottles of wine in this box, and she thought she was going to steal the whole thing. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I guess, um, you know, wrapping up, I guess, final thoughts on being a dad. What would, what would you think the best advice you'd give? Uh, I would say the best advice is don't take it too seriously. And just remember, the more wrong things go, the better the story it makes. So when you're when you're talking with other parents or when you're running your Twitter account or your YouTube channel or whatever else, just remember the worst days make for the best jokes. And, and that kind of is what keeps me going. Where they can connect you when they want to find and reach out. If you want to find me, you can uh, you can check out my website, explodingunicorn.com. That's also a great place to sign up for my newsletter, which is the probably the best way to follow my antics. You can also follow me on YouTube by searching for James Breakwell or on Facebook by, or Twitter by searching for uh, James Breakwell or Exploding Unicorn. I should pop right up. And my new book that's out right now is How to Save Your Child from Ostrich Attacks, Accidental Time Travel, or anything else that might happen on an average Tuesday. <laughs> and you can find that in any online retailer or any traditional brick-and-mortar book retailer. Well, James Breakwell, thank you much for being on the podcast tonight. I really do appreciate it, sir. Thank you so much for having me. I had a good time. Wrapping up the episode, I want to thank James Breakwell for being a guest on the podcast. You can find more about him over at explodingunicorns.com. You can also find all the links we talked about in the show 
over at nosittingonthesideline.com slash 81. Hey, while you're over there, sign up for the email newsletter or just leave a comment and let me know what you thought of the episode or just if you want to say hi, that'd be awesome. You can find more of my information, all my contact, social media links at nosittingonthesideline.com slash contact. Hey, wrapping up, I, I just want to say one thing about this episode. One thing from James Breakwell interviews enjoy, is enjoy the ride of being a parent. Your kids are going to be fine. Really, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> well, thank you for listening. Until next time, take care. Give your kids a hug. Really, it's really important. Let them know how much you love them. Take care. God bless. See ya. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please subscribe to the newsletter to receive updates of the show and helpful and useful tips. This has been a production of Foley 42 Media.